believe you me, in the movies when someone's mock executed, the hammer goes click and then someone goes huh, and they get up and beat up the bad guys. In reality, when a Kalashnikov is put in the side of your temple and the bolt is pulled back, there's one in the chamber and it goes click, your bowels open, your bladder opens, you vomit and you cry. Hey guys, welcome back to When It Hits The Fan, the podcast where we delve into what really happens when things go wrong on the road. Brought to you by Battleface Travel Insurance. Now, normally we hear about expeditions gone wrong or dicey moments in very remote parts of the world. And today's guest has certainly had his fair share of those. But that's not really what we're here to talk to him about. When it comes to shooting war, both as a television cameraman and a freelance photographer, few have the sheer breadth of experience of Sebastian Rich. Sebastian has covered every major war and conflict over the past 40 years, from the troubles in Northern Ireland to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, to civil wars in Central America. He's witnessed firsthand the human cost of conflict. He's also worked extensively with UN agencies, including UNICEF, UNHCR, as well as being the favored photographer of Medicine Sans Frontières, the World Wildlife Fund, and numerous others. Veteran British television journalist Jon Snow described Sebastian as probably the finest news cameraman and photographer of his time. And he's received numerous professional accolades, including the Royal Television Society's Cameraman of the Year Award. But despite having such a glittering career, it's also a career that's taken its toll. Sebastian has been very open about suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder brought on by his experiences in the field. And that's what we want to talk to him about today. Sebastian is very keen to stress that what has worked for him may not work for anyone else. Of course, this is a disorder where it's very much characterized by your personal experiences of it. So, of course, we will put some details in the description below and anybody who wants to find out more about treatment or identification of PTSD can do so. If you'd like to learn more about Sebastian himself, he's very active on social media channels under the handle Hope Focus, uh, where he draws attention to the plight of refugees. So check him out there. And of course, we will also put a link in the description below to his uh, website. But without further ado, let's jump straight into it. Um, so, uh, Sebastian, I, I, you know, talked about, um, you know, kind of all, all of the various things you've done over the past, you know, 40 years in, in the introduction, how, you know, you've covered every major war and, and conflict really during that time. I was interested to hear how the practicalities have, of the job have changed in that time. Um, well, I guess back in the day, it's an awful expression, but, it, you know, when I was a young conflict photographer, um, we never had helmets, we never had bulletproof jackets, we never had armored cars, none of us knew how to put a band-aid on. Um, so it was very much we're learning on the job. And you know, I got hurt quite badly a few times, and none of us knew how to put a band-aid on. So I went on to become a paramedic, which I am now, so which has come in handy. So I rec thoroughly recommend that anyone who's even thinking of doing going to a conflict at least do a very thorough first aid course so you can if you can't help someone else at least help yourself in these situations 
Do you think there's been a, a change in the quality of news reporting from, from conflicts over the past 40 years? Was it better then and worse now or, or vice versa? Yeah, but an old fart like me is always going to say it was better back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I would say, to be fair, is that, you know, say 20 years ago, we'd go out. I used to, I used to work a lot with, um, you may know him in England, John Snow, the, um, the Channel 4 newscast. Mm -hmm. Him and I, he was a cub reporter and I was a cub cameraman for ITN. And we, for instance, we went to El Salvador to cover the Civil War. Now, we would go out for three weeks with the rebels and get a really comprehensive, you know, feel of what they're doing, you know, what they're up to, what they want. And then we go out for three weeks with government forces. So it, it was really in-depth journalism. Now, nowadays, you know, correspondents, camera crews, photographers, we're, we're tied to the beast, which is the satellite. Um, so people want things right now. So journalism, if you like, has become very, very thin. It's like a veneer, it's like a bumper sticker almost. And also the thing is that now we have, we have citizen journalists, which is, I initially thought was gonna be fantastic. Everyone with a cell phone, you know, something happens right in front of 20 people with cell phones. But the problem with that is, there's no one ever steps back to see what the facts are regarding what they've just photographed or what they've just videoed. So they see it and they pump it out with possibly a line of thinking what may be going on. Now, for instance, um, I've just done a story on the United Nations peacekeepers in, in Cyprus uh, on the buffer zone between Turkish occupied area and Cyprus. Now, that was for PBS News in America. It was a photo essay, so 15 pictures and maybe a thousand words. Now, every time I, 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 I make a, a factual quote saying the, the buffer zone has been in place since 1974, that is fact-checked by five individuals. And anything I say in that piece with, with a, you know, a, a, what I think is a fact, is fact-checked. Now, citizen journalists doesn't have that. And on the whole, nor does he or she care as long as that goes out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I guess um, with the rise of uh, citizen journalism, something like war reporting is something that has a kind of allure. And I know that you've talked about, um, you know, the, the perception of it as a kind of romantic uh, profession in, you know, in the, in the popular imagination. You know, how does the reality differ from that perception? I, I can understand how it... it, uh, it um can be perceived as a romantic profession. And I probably fell into that trap when I was, I mean, I've been doing this since I was 16. Um, and you have, because you, what, you have a diet of war movies and so forth, you have a perception of what's going on. Um, and when I, I mean, I was an accidental combat or conflict photographer slash cameraman back in the day. Um, but when I, my first, I mean, my first uh, uh, baptism of fire was in Northern Ireland. Um, which really was really quite heavy. But my first um, foreign assignment was the civil war in, in El Salvador and Nicaragua, mm -hmm. uh, where people were actually firing at us. Like in Northern Ireland, we weren't so much the uh, target, although, you know, a couple of petrol bombs hit our cars and so forth. But in El Salvador, we were actually a target. Um, so, and that, that was kind of, frightening and it, there was a realization slowly coming that this was not um, as much fun as romantic as I thought it might be and then moving and, and slowly slowly and then the 1983 
I was very badly wounded in, um, in Beirut in the Civil War and had to be medevaced out. So then, then it gets kind of serious. And then, um, then we move on again to Bosnia, which was a terrifying uh, war and all the romanticism was completely knocked out of me, but actually a bit before I arrived. But an example in, in uh, the Bosnian conflict, um, it was only two and a half hours flying time from London and uh, a lot of young kids went there thinking I can be a war photographer and 73 journal, young journalists, photographers and cameramen died in that four year period wow. because I'm not saying because they were, how can I be super polite? They were a little gung ho and um, God bless them. They, you know, they, they reap the rewards of being over enthusiastic. Yeah. Right. You mentioned um, Beirut there where you were injured. Um, I, I know from uh, the, some of the experiences you've had, that one particularly stood out. Uh, uh, this is where you were, were kidnapped? Are these, are these the same? Uh... No, these, these, it's, it's two different things. One, one, one was being very badly wounded and medivac's funny enough out to Cyprus before I lived here and operated on. Um, and then at another time um, was kidnapped. And, uh, both equally as horrifying and terrifying and painful as each other, but on very different emotional levels. Right. I mean, you know, being kidnapped, I mean, of, of course, you know, we can understand how terrifying that may be. Um, were there points where you thought, I'm not going to see the other side of this? Oh, sorry, say that again? W were there moments during the kidnap where you thought that, you know, this might be the end. I'm not going to see the other side of this. I'm not going to come out oh. of this. Oh yeah, I mean, we, I uh, I was mock executed, so there was a there was a real moment, you know, that I was my, I was cracking my pants and pissing myself and screaming for my mother. I believe you me. In the movies, when someone's mock executed, the hammer goes click, and then someone goes huh, and they get up and beat up the bad guys. In reality, when a Kalashnikov is put in the side of your temple, and the bolt is pulled back, there's one in the chamber, and it goes click. Your bowels open, your bladder opens, you vomit and you cry. Yeah, right. I mean, kind of, you know, unsurprisingly, um, perhaps because of, you know, these various incidents that you've, you've experienced, you, you've been um, quite open talking about uh, PTSD, which, you know, you can tell me was either the result of a, uh, you know, a single incident or accumulation of, of incidents. But can you, can you give me a little information about how that came about how it manifests itself you know for someone like me who whose experience of PTSD is occasionally watching a, a, a war film where a soldier may suffer from it you know kind of how much of that media portrayal is accurate how much of it is is pure Hollywood you know what, what's been your ex uh, personal experience? I think 90% of it is pure Hollywood um, it's PTSD can either be accumulative or it can be the result of one particular particular incident um, so if you take my career, for instance, there's been, uh, I mean, I've been doing it for 40 years, um, and it, it never really, it, I suppose it built up with me and, uh, I had an, I had an experience in, uh, in Bosnia, although I was shot in Bosnia, but it was, for me, it was not the actual being shot or being kidnapped or whatever. It was, I, I tried to rescue, uh, a little girl who was dying of leukemia. In, um, in Bosnia. I put down the camera equipment and I was gonna rescue her. And I was gonna, you know, gonna put on, I was gonna jump into a telephone box and rip open my thing and get my Superman outfit on and go and rescue this kid. 
Um, she was dying of leukemia, um, but she couldn't, she couldn't get the medicines needed through the front lines in Bosnia. So I decided with a British army friend of mine, which I get her. So the coastal town of Split, um, and uh, where she could get uh, medicines. But anyway, to cut a long story short, uh, she died within a day of getting to the hospital. Um, and that was a catalyst of um, depression. PTSD is something that kind of comes a little bit later, but that, that was, I think, for years and years and years, I've been witnessing atrocities, massacres, all sorts of things, and really just focusing on recording them as a historical event for other people, you know, to try, trying naively sometimes to get a politician to change their views on what's going on somewhere in the world unknown to me, this is all being soaked in. So when this little girl, this little Bosnian girl died on me, um, it, 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 the shutters came down and, you know, I, I went deep into a bottle of Jack Daniels for a few days and da, 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 felt sorry for myself uh, and popped out the other side. Um, but there's always a residue, even now, you know, there's a residue of something scratching in the back of my head. Um, so, I've seen a couple of trick cyclists and, you know, they, you know, they try and help, but it's very difficult um, to talk to someone who's not had a, any experience of any, that kind of trauma. I know that the psychiatrists and the therapists, they're trained to ask the right questions, but someone like myself, we, when they're asking the supposed right questions, we can see in the eyes that they really don't have any comprehension of what, myself and people like myself have been through some would say that's slightly unfair because they have been trained to look out for the signals and so forth but i often find that if i go out for a drink or a meal or meet up with some army friends or other photographers who've been through the same stuff there's an almost like an unspoken you know atmosphere we, we don't really talk about it that much and if someone has a little moment you know we all gather around and not in not like a group hug circle thing. It's much more pragmatic than that, if you like. Um, but people have very different ways of dealing. And I mean, that's kind of been the way I've dealt with it. Maybe not described it particularly well. But some people do need to sit down, uh, you know, with a therapist or psychiatrist and get it out of their system. It just happens not to be the way I want to handle with it. And a psychiatrist would probably say he's in denial but that's their prerogative on you know how, how they perceive someone with ptsd sure and are there certain um triggers that can you know cause a, a, an episode if that's the right term of ptsd or, or cause you to kind of relapse into um you know certain feelings or, or thoughts yeah i mean it's for one it's not like the movies where you get flashbacks and so forth it's you know you don't actually you know we all have memories and random memories come into our head with and we have no control of where they come from so the triggers the triggers can be the most unlikely things they can be a smell they can be a, an, an auditory thing or unfortunately for me because at the, at, in, in this time of lockdown i've been going through my archive which is extensive um and every now and again a picture will come up that i'm oh i better rework that caption then i get kind of sad and you know and memories around that photograph will, will come back to me and some may haunt me for a few hours and some and sometimes they may have a little weep right 
because a lot, a lot, a lot of, my, a lot of my problem, if you like, is that I've spent so many because I do a lot of work for UNHCR and UNICEF, and you know, and 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 especially in the Syrian conflict where ISIS were just horrible, mother, not very nice people. Yeah. Um, and the stories I heard from refugees um, broke my heart ten times a day. I mean, the, the mothers explaining how their three-month-old baby was held up by their, its feet and cut in half by a machete, right? Um, so that particular conflict with its horrors um, can't help but go in somewhere. And maybe it hasn't all come out yet, I don't know. Um, but it's, uh, PTSD is a, is, is a very personal, you know, we're all different. You, if you had it, it would be different for me. Da, 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 da. Um, so I have, I have no great answers, but what I would advise strongly someone suffering from PTSD in, in, in the type of, you know, arena that I've been in mm -hmm. is that if you feel it, you can't cope is to actually go and talk to someone, you know, don't take my advice and have a couple of pints and go and see your mates, go and see someone that works for me, but I would recommend you go and talk to someone who knows what the hell they're talking about. So, I mean, that leads us on to, you know, the, the, the next question, really, because, you know, I mentioned at the start, we're all kind of familiar with, um, you know, portrayals of PTSD, whether it's through movies, and, and it's generally, you know, soldiers returning from, you know, Vietnam or Afghanistan or wherever. And, you know, instances of um, the disorder with uh, journalists, reporters, photographers who are in war zones seem to be overlooked um, or at least not in the public's consciousness. Do you think that um, do you think that the channels exist currently to identify a journalist suffering from PTSD, or similarly to, to actually offer them support? I believe there are such organisations. There's, there's Reporters Without Frontiers, who are a fantastic organisation, um, and they they have. You know, you can call them and ask, but yeah, there are. I don't know so much about that because I've tended to deal with it uh, by myself, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. Um, but yeah, they, it, there are places now that journalists, photographers can can go, um, but I I just haven't done that. I see. What would be your advice then to a young journalist who perhaps wanted to, you know, following your footsteps who wanted to become a, a a war photographer conflict photographer or or whatever but wanted to go to these you know particular areas um you know would you is this something you would advise against would you advise them to take certain precautions uh, you know what would you say to them well i, I certainly would i'd never advise you know a young photographer a journalist to follow what he thinks he wants to do but you have to say to yourself why do you want to cover war now a lot of people want to do it for egotistical reasons you know they want they want the so-called glamour behind it okay um i'm afraid the glamour the glamour gets knocked out of you when you come under your first ambush and some people it doesn't some people just want more of it until they get hurt then things really change around um i would advise anyone who really really wants to do it and i've had you know lots of uh, people of all ages ringing me up and saying you know i want to do what you do what do you recommend Number one, very practical, very intensive first aid course. Then secondly, you can do a hazardous course. You, there's lots of outfits now 
run by ex-British military, ex-American military, who will give very extensive courses uh, on how to survive in a war zone, you know, from driving an armored car to field medicine to, you know, and one of the most simple things is knowing the difference between incoming fire and outgoing fire. I've seen people rush and run into incoming fire, right, thinking it was outgoing fire and vice versa. So you know, incredibly simple things like that. But these, these hazardous courses, the BBC run one, uh, the Frontline Club in London run one, there's all sorts of things. So one big, big first aid course, and you must do one of these hazardous training courses. And that prepares you, but it doesn't make you invulnerable. <laughs> I'm I'm aware um, of you know at least one of the ways that you've perhaps um, you know tried to deal with the, the trauma of reporting from some of these places is is through writing, uh, including writing poetry. Is that is that an accurate uh, sort of representation of of, um, of of what you've done through writing? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the writing is not one of the easy. I I was left I left school at fourteen because I was dyslexic and um, no one knew what dyslexia was at the time. And I just kept getting hit around the head by teachers because there were capital, you know, corporal punishment was allowed then. And I ran away from school. And like I've since learned that a lot of my colleagues, uh, photographers are dyslexic, you know, because we go, we turn to, we turn to pictures to tell stories. I mean, I still have to write extrapolated captions and articles of various newspapers, but it just takes a bit longer and with a few added tricks. But poetry, um, for some reason, as a dyslexic, I'm, and I'm an acute chronic dyslexic, is that the beauty about um, the dyslexia and poetry is that poetry can be interpreted completely as you like, or it's differently as to, to you, to me, to a hundred different people. Um, so I don't, ha I don't have to follow a grammatic, a correct grammatical flow, and so forth. So I've just, I've just published a book called Word Salad: The Book of Bad Poetry. Um, and I find I can express myself in poetry. And it also does, you know, it's, uh, I forget who said it was that, you know, every, every writer uh, throws up his sickness on the, on, on, on the pages. And after reading back the proofs, I realized that what I'd done, sort of semi-consciously writing some of the horrors that have been sitting in here and got them out on paper. And that's a kind of cathartic, it sounds a bit trite, but it is a cathartic experience, and especially when you read them back. And, but the weird thing is because there's quite a few people who have bought this book now and they read some of the poetry back to me and I just thought, oh my God, did I really write that? <laughs> I don't know anything about, you know, how, you, how to construct poetry at all, but then who are they that make up the rules about poetry? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sebastian, I'm, I'm aware you're quite active on uh, some social media channels. So of course we will, uh, you know, put links to them in the description below so people can uh, you know check you out there and of course to your website as well which of course uh, contains a wealth of information about you um mm. but yeah thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us this afternoon no my greatest pleasure i, I hope that uh, i hope that it helps someone to make a decision in a career process it either encourages them or says christ i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> great thank you sebastian bye-bye all right Take care. Take care. Uh, guys, that's all we've got time for today, but uh, do check out the links in the video description below, uh, both to Sebastian's online presence 
and also resources where you can find out a little bit more about PTSD. Uh, and of course, remember to like this video and subscribe to be informed about new episodes coming out, which will be out very soon. And we've got some fantastic guests lined up. Until then, goodbye.